The following episode contains material of a graphic nature and coarse language. Listener discretion is advised. You know, I was just wondering how you're going to be, you know, at 9.30 tomorrow morning. Are you prepared? I'm prepared. I'm all right. I'm all right with it. And how... I'm all right with it, but like I said, remember and tell, let them know that I know that the cops knew who I was after Richard Mallory died. I left prints everywhere and they covered it up and let me kill the rest of those guys to turn me into a serial killer. I know they did because I was no professional serial killer or anything, or murderer or whatever you want to call it. The defendant's commission of these four murders over a 10-day period is one of the worst killing sprees in the history of this state. Skin them sometimes, uh, slit them, slit them all the way open. Uh. I'm here looking for the spirits of anybody that still remains. I have a device in my hand. If you would like to talk to it, please come forward. Tell me your story. Maybe I should have killed four or five hundred people, then I would have felt better. Then when I felt like I really offered society something. You are listening to Serial Spirits, the podcast. Guys, welcome to another episode of Serial Spirits, the podcast. It is me, your host, Brendan Shane. With me, as always, is the beautiful, the lovely. Annie Weebs, how are you, Shea Bay? I've been hot, Annie. It's been super, super hot here in Huntington, West Virginia. I mean, unbelievably hot. Yeah, but you know what? It's officially August now, which means we are just two months away from Halloween month, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's going to get crisp and clear. And we just put a new screened in porch in our backyard. So it just makes it better. So we are preparing for Halloween in our own way. Um, You guys keep wearing your mask. Don't mess up Halloween 2020 for us. It's on a Saturday. It's a full moon. This is a very important Halloween, guys. Very, very important. And also, I just want to make note that we have something special in lieu of Mothman Festival getting canceled this year. Oh yeah, we do. We're going to be putting out something special for you guys because you know how we normally do a Mothman episode after the weekend. We talk about a recap and talk about, you know, all the stuff we experienced, the things we saw. Well, this year it's not happening. And we were supposed to do that, that podcasting event with with Hillbilly Horror Stories. So we're putting together something special for you guys. So make sure that you get prepared for that because oh, it's going to be fun. Shay, you're such fun. a tease. Why don't you give him a little, know, just a, a little hint, just one little hint, not too much. Injured cold. Oh. Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. That's enough Mind right there. Control. Yeah. Leave it there. So, Mind control. 
<laughs> so yeah, guys. So before we get into this today's episode, which I don't even know, I know I know Annie's got something great cooked up for us here. No pun intended. But before we get into that, guys, let's give a shout out to our patrons, Bethany Hammontree and Cool Scout 09. Thank you for being supporters of Paranormal Warehouse and the Serial Spirits podcast. You can go to patreon.com backslash Paranormal Warehouse to become a patron. Annie, what are we getting into today? So Shay, because we're getting close to Halloween month, I want to bring you guys an article that I wrote last year around Halloween for Living Paranormal magazine. They asked me to comprise my list of my top 10 serial killers. And I know that sounds a little morbid, but I did a lot of research for this one. A lot of writing went into it. We're going to do a two-part episode and break it into five through 10 and then one to five, my top 10 serial killers. It is kind of morbid to think about. You have, a little morbid. You have a top top 10 serial killers, like people who killed other people there. You, know you have what? favorites. It's that not is kind a of favorite. Morbid. It's not a favorite. It's more like I went through looking at the numbers and the depravity of the crimes. And as I read back through it yesterday, I thought, man, I probably should have renumbered some of these people, but we'll just go with it as it is. So we are doing what I entitled Weeb's Worldwide Worst Serial Killers, the Weeb. top 10. <laughs> wow. That's a tongue twister right there. Say, Say that, that five, five times, times fast, yeah, right? Jinx. All right, guys. So let's get into this tongue twister of an episode. Weeb's Worldwide Serial Killers right now here on the Serial Spirits Podcast. It was a case that almost defied belief. Se hacía llamar la dama del silencio. Someone was killing elderly women in Mexico, strangling them with a stethoscope. Sus víctimas fueron ancianas que vivían solas. Se hacía pasar por enfermer. This is the very first time in Mexican history that police named and profile a serial killer. Nickname El Mataviejitas. This means the little old lady killer. La asesina serial cometió por lo menos 11 asesinatos. My name is Susana Vargas Cervantes and I wrote The Little Old Lady Killer, The Sensationalized Crimes of Mexico's First Female Serial Killer. Police came up with a profile of The Little Old Lady Killer. They were looking initially for a man, even though witnesses kept on saying that she was a woman that was wearing a wig, that had makeup, but they couldn't conceptualize of a female serial killer. Police then thought it must be a transvestite. So they went in October of 2005 and arrested many transvestite sex workers. And after none of them matched their fingerprints, they concluded, okay, it's not a transvestite, but we're sure it's a transgender person. The profile called to mind the fictional killers in Psycho and Silence of the Lambs. But the police were mistaken. A break in the case happened by accident in early 2006. Number 10. Juana Barraza, a.k.a. Lady Luchadora, or the Old Lady Killer. Juana Barraza was a female professional wrestler and serial killer who was sentenced to 759 years in prison 
for the murders of over 40 elderly women in the late 1990s and early 2000s in Mexico. Barazzo was born in 1957 in Mexico to an alcoholic mother who reportedly traded Barazza for alcohol to a man who repeatedly raped her during her childhood, eventually impregnating her. She developed a love of professional wrestling as an adult and entered the ring under the stage name The Lady of Silence. However, her wrestling career was short-lived and Barazza soon took to murder to silence her rage. All of her victims were females over the age of 60. She would enter the homes of the women by pretending to be a nurse or a government worker who was there to help with their finances, even managing to gain access to lists of elderly women who lived alone and were recipients of government assistance. Once Barata gained access to the home, she would strangle her victims with items found within their homes. Mexican authorities originally theorized their killer was male until witnesses claimed to see a masculine woman leaving the areas in which some of the murders were committed. Police even believed the killer might have been dressing in women's clothing just to confuse them. Barata stole from multiple victims, also taking small trinkets from the homes simply as reminders of her murders. Barata's run ended in 2006 when she was spotted leaving the scene of the murder of landlady Ana Maria de los Reyes Alfaro and was picked up by police in the same neighborhood. In 2008, Barata was tried for the murders of 30 victims. She was found guilty of 16 of those murders, along with 12 robberies. Barata attributed her crimes to her hatred for her mother, stating she believed she was helping society by killing them. Although Barata was sentenced to 759 years in prison, she will be paroled regardless of her sentence in 2058 when she turns 100 years old. I have never heard of this woman before. It's kind of a crazy thing. And what I found most intriguing about this is they thought it was a guy and he was wearing women's clothes to throw the police off or that he had some fetish with putting on women's clothes. And when in fact it was a woman trying on the other woman's clothes because she liked them so much. So That's crazy. No, it was just her in her regular clothes. But she was so masculine that they thought it was a man dressing in women's clothing to throw off like oh, any witnesses. Oh. Yeah, any witnesses that would see her leaving these crimes. But well, it makes sense because she was a luchador. She was is, a wrestler. Right. This is where we have to throw in some pictures because it's a total like Nacho Libre type. You know, the Mexican luchadora, the crazy painted Masks, mask. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah, the that's lady nuts. of silence. You got to throw some pictures in there. Sometimes you, a woman has to wear skinny pants. I mean, <laughs> that's what has to happen sometimes, right? Yes, that's what, but that's I mean, true. <laughs> you know, that's not a funny joke, really, because no. this woman killed a, like 30 something people. But wow. I mean, she just mommy issues, a woman that has do mommy do do issues. Do 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 I mean, that's, yeah. And that's that's kind of outside the whole realm of. What we see in a lot of serial killers and women, because normally it's not that passionate of a crime, you know, it's more of a crime of passion when they kill people. Right. But uh, she had mommy issues, too, so that's weird. And she plotted it out, so, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, she uh, went there and became a a home health aide, basically, is what she was. She was pretending to be a home health aide, yeah. She even, she found those, I don't know how she got those lists of people who were 
recipients of government assistance, but they she crept in there pretending to be somebody that she wasn't. She gained their trust and then she killed him. Well, I mean, if you really are, this is what you do. This is what you're basically your passion in life is. I mean, you can get anything you want. You can get access to anything. So I'm sure she had her ways. And well, that's kind of a crazy story. The luchador serial killer who was a woman. Right. Lady Luchadora. Also, that article tells us that no matter what kind of crime you did, Mexican prison says you hit 100 years old. See ya. Bye bye. You're on your own now. That's that's nuts. Number nine, Pedro Lopez, a.k.a. the monster of the Andes. Pedro Lopez claimed to have murdered more than 300 young girls across several South American countries beginning in the 1980s. Lopez was born in 1947 in Colombia to a prostitute mother, the seventh of 13 children. Lopez's mother sent him away when she said she discovered him fondling one of his younger sisters. Lopez was homeless, taken in by a man off the streets who he claimed sexually abused him for years. He was later adopted by an elderly American couple, but ran away and took to the streets again. By the time he was 18, Lopez made a living by selling stolen cars and was sent to prison. Here, he claimed he was gang raped repeatedly and his murderous ways began. Lopez stated that before he was released, he chased down and murdered each of the men who had raped and sodomized him while incarcerated. After his release from prison, Lopez turned his attention to young girls. He claimed that by the late 1970s, he had murdered at least 100 children. In 1978, Lopez was caught abusing young girls by a local South American tribe and was ordered to be executed. But an American missionary living amongst the tribe convinced the locals not to kill him, but to turn him over to authorities. Lopez was arrested, but once the missionary was gone, the police released him. He moved from Colombia to Ecuador, where his murders continued. Lopez later stated that he preferred young girls in Ecuador because they were, quote, more gentle, trusting, and innocent. In 1980, Lopez was arrested once again after a failed abduction. During his questioning, he confessed to murdering more than 300 children. The police hesitated to believe the staggering claims until a flash flood washed out a mass grave containing many of Lopez's victims, all young girls. He later led police to an additional 53 graves. Lopez went to trial for the murders of 110 children and was found guilty but legally insane and sent to a psychiatric facility. In 1998, Lopez was released from the psychiatric facility back into society and vanished. As of today, no one knows the whereabouts of Pedro Lopez, a.k.a. the Monster of the Andes. That is insane. He's probably one that I should have moved up on my list to like number two or three. I think I've heard this story to an extent. I think that when they they had the mass grave that washed or that flood that washed, it was like in a cornfield or sugarcane field or something like that where they started finding all these young children. But that's almost a child like a child a day for a year. Right. How do you kill that many people? I don't know. I I, I don't know. And this I read 
later that after he was released, so he was released on fifty dollars bail, basically. From well, this, this was in the seventies, correct? In the eighties. So, the- yeah, he um. No, 1998. 1998 is when he was released. Oh, so, yeah. He was released from the psychiatric unit. But from I'm talking the psychiatric about facility. When he first started, it was in the 70s. Right. Yeah. And his mother claimed that in 1998, right after he was released, that she he showed up at her home, demanded money. She gave him some cash and like an old bed that he said he could sell for parts. And then he, he could sell for parts. He could sell for parts. And he disappeared. So he went on an Interpol list because part of his release said that he had to check in with police monthly and it never happened. And so they have no idea what happened to him. They actually theorized that maybe some of his family had like put a bounty out on his head and that he had actually been murdered. But since his release in 1998, Pedro Lopez has never been seen again. Well, I was going to make a point until you brought that up, like, uh, you know, the reforms that that's been happening all over the world with like sexual predators and mass murders of children, and that kind of thing put on a list. And that's good that it wasn't on an Interpol list. But I mean, obviously, they don't follow up with those kind of things. It you know, work. even even right. the United States here, we have, you know, sexual offenders list and these guys are supposed to report all the time. But, you know, and I know that you can go out of town for a week, two weeks at a time and. Some laws, especially like in Ohio, I don't know what pertains in West Virginia, but if you go out of town for like two weeks in Ohio, you're supposed to register in the county or wherever you're at and just let them know, hey, I'm in town, I'm a sexual you know, predator, I'm, I'm on the, the list, but none of that stuff happens and nobody checks up on it, even if you make a phone call and say, hey, you know, they, they don't care. So it's kind of creepy to know somebody like that could still be out there. He could still be out possibly there. Possibly right. murdering children. Oh, what a creepy story. God, what a creepy Isn't story. Isn't that weird? Yeah, that's, that's just bizarre. That's It's scary. It's scary to know there's people like that in the world. 300, right. he claimed 300 children. So it's looking like he probably did that. He killed a lot. I because mean, they even, found 100 and obviously 110 right. victims that he led them to. That's, oh man, that's. I, I can't get over that one. That one should be uh, like That one should have been way five. higher on the list, yeah. probably. Crazy. I'm okay. I'm okay. God is going to be there. Jesus Christ is going to be there. All the angels and everything. And, you know, whatever whatever's on the beyond. I think it's going to be more like Star Trek beaming me up into a space vehicle, man. Then I move on, recolonize to another planet or whatever. But it's whatever's the beyond, I know it's going to be good because I didn't do anything as wrong as they said. I did the right thing. And I saved a lot of people's butts from getting hurt and raped and killed, too. So are you saying that you killed in self-defense or in, in cold blood? What do you, what do you, because you, you've changed your story. I'm just trying to What understand. are you talking about? Change story and what? No, about whether it was self-defense or not. I'm not going to say, you know, I'm not going to get in depth about my cases, Nick. I'm on my way to the chamber, nothing's stopping it. You can believe it or you don't have to believe it. That's up to you, man. Put a big question mark on your film. Number eight, Eileen Warnos, a.k.a. the Damsel of Death. Eileen Warnos was born in 1956 in Michigan into a disturbingly dysfunctional family. Her father, a convicted child molester, committed suicide while in prison. Her mother, an alcoholic, abandoned Warnos and her brother, leaving them to be raised by their grandparents. Warnos stated that she was sexually abused by her grandfather and had a sexual relationship with her brother. She became pregnant as a teenager, later giving the child up for adoption. 
Warnos was kicked out of the home and began living in the woods. She made her living through prostitution, hitchhiking her way around the country. She briefly married a wealthy yachtsman who abruptly ended the marriage after an altercation. While living in Florida, Warnos met a young woman named Tyra Moore and the two began a relationship. During the late 1980s and early 1990s, Warnos picked up and murdered six men along Florida highways. Warnos and Moore, who were living under aliases, were connected to the murders by fingerprint evidence. Moore agreed to help elicit a confession from Warnos in order to receive a plea bargain. Warnos accepted full responsibility for the murders. During trial, Warnos claimed that she had killed all of the men in self-defense. In January 1992, Warnos was convicted of murder and sentenced to death. While on death row, her mental status was re-evaluated after she filed her appeals lawyer, who suggested she had become severely disconnected from reality. Florida Governor Jeb Bush lifted a stay of execution after three psychiatrists deemed her stable, and Warnos was executed by lethal injection in October 2002. After her death, multiple movies and television shows featured Warnos and retold the story of her depraved life and death. Shay, this is one that a lot of people know, probably most notably because Charlize Theron played a movie, I believe it's called Monster, and she transformed herself into Eileen Warnos, and it was freaky. Yeah, and even Christina Ricci kind of looks like the Tyra girl that she was with. Right. It's, it's crazy how it much is. they do. And this is a really intriguing movie. This whole, the, her character, her story is intriguing in itself because she was a victim of so many men. And that's what they tried to say, that these were innocent men that she killed. But I honestly think, like, I think the first story or the first time she killed somebody was because she was almost the guy wanted more and she said no you only paid this amount of money and then he turned around and ended up raping her with a pipe or something and she killed him and i think after that she just got a taste for that sensation of killing somebody that that's why she she started on this killing spree but i honestly do think that she was a victim of her first victim she was she was a victim of circumstance well she was was a victim her whole life but i mean you know there's no rhyme or reason for why she did what she did but she sounds like she had a very tough upbringing a tough life that was full of sexual abuse full of you know sexual promiscuity and it's really sad you know the upbringing that she had that it led to this but it also you know i know people who've had very tough childhoods that don't turn out to be serial killers like this and i think at the end the motive ended up being robbery so they could keep going on this spree all across the country right And it's, I mean, to get to the whole side of her mental state, if you sit down and watch hours of her videos, she is a Looney Tune. She is, right. And she gets convicted on, in all these different states for the death penalty. And she goes off on the judges and some of these, these trials she's in. I mean, she's a Looney Tune. I think eventually when they told her she was going to get executed, she just accepted it. I think she wanted it. I think she did too, in a way. And I think even though she murdered those six men, Yes, they were trying to elicit something from her that brought up terrible memories. But the only way that she knew how to support herself, she probably actually deserved to be in a psychiatric facility. Yeah, without a doubt. If if you want my real opinion, as opposed to someone who was executed pretty quickly, if you think about it. She wasn't on death row that long. No. So, But I think, I don't know the factual facts of the case, but I think she pushed 
towards the end to get an execution date or had them hurry it up to well, get that's, there. That's probably why she filed her appeals attorney, right? She just basically said, I'm done. Yeah, I don't want to live done. this life anymore. I don't want to live in prison. So just go ahead and kill me. There's a documentary I watched and I forget which what it was called. I think it was on, it was either Oxygen or it was on uh, Hulu, like ID on Hulu. But um, she had this friend who got her remains or whatever. This woman was her friend and confidant the whole time she was in prison because I think she was like, you know, a Christian who came and tried to convert her. And eventually Eileen became a Christian and would preach all this stuff all the time. And this woman, I think she left everything to this woman and she has letters and she has her childhood stuff. I mean, it's, she had a really tough childhood and it's really sad to see this kind of stuff happen, but this is what happens. People turn into monsters, monsters because their right. parents don't aren't there. You know yeah. what I mean? She was molested by her dad. Well, she wasn't molested by her dad. She was molested by her grandfather. Her grandfather. But her dad was a sexual predator. Right. Her dad killed himself in prison because he was a sexual predator. Her mother was a drunk who didn't care and just gave him away. That's sad. I mean, you know, she needed help a long time before she was even put in the prison system. She did. Yes. In the summer of 1977, New York lost its mind. We had uh, a blackout in which 3,000 people were arrested. You know, it was a very, very different time, and people were afraid to walk around. The city is preoccupied with the killer, who in one note signed himself the Son of Sam. Most of the victims have been young women with shoulder-length dark brown hair who were gunned down as they sat in parked cars or walked the sidewalks of the Bronx and Queens. I ran down. By the time I got down, she was dead in the street. Number seven, David Berkowitz, a.k.a. the son of Sam. David Berkowitz was an American serial killer who confessed to the shooting deaths of six people in New York City in 1976. Berkowitz was born in 1953 to Betty Broder and Joseph Kleinman. Kleinman, however, was married to another woman with a separate family and forced Betty to give Berkowitz up for adoption. His adoptive parents changed his name from Richard David Falco to David Richard Berkowitz. Berkowitz was a troubled but intelligent child who lost interest in school, was described as a bully, and became obsessed with arson and petty theft. In 1971, Berkowitz joined the Army and served in South Korea, eventually receiving an honorable discharge. After leaving the Army, he located his birth mother, discovering the secrets of his childhood. Berkowitz alleged that he began his crime spree on Christmas Eve 1975, when he claimed he stabbed two women. In July 1976, shootings began throughout the city many of the victim's dark-haired women accompanied by their boyfriends. After the sixth shooting, the killer began sending taunting letters to the police, calling himself the Son of Sam. The letters were riddled with misspellings, questioning the aptitude of the killer. Shay, I'm going to read one of the letters to you that was sent to authorities by the Son of Sam, and it says, quote, I am deeply hurt by your calling me a women-hater. I am not but I am a monster. I am the son of Sam. I am a little brat. When Father Sam gets drunk, he gets mean. He beats his family. Sometimes he ties me up to the back of the house. Other times he locks me in the garage. Sam loves to drink blood. Go out and kill, commands Father Sam. Behind our house, some rest. Mostly young, raped and slaughtered, their blood drained, 
just bones now. Papa Sam keeps me locked in the attic, too. I can't get out, but I look out the attic window and watch the world go by. I feel like an outsider. I am on different wavelength than everybody else, programmed to kill. However, to stop me, you must kill me. Attention all police. Shoot me first. Shoot to kill or else. Keep out of my way or you will die. Papa Sam is old now. He needs some blood to preserve his youth. He has had too many heart attacks. Too many heart attacks. Ah, shoot me, it hurts, Sonny Boy. I miss my pretty princess most of all. She's resting in Our Lady's house, but I'll see her soon. I am the monster, Beelzebub, the chubby behemoth. I love to hunt, prowling the streets, looking for fair game, tasting meat. The women of Queens are prettiest of all. I must be the water they drink. I live for the hunt, my life, blood for Papa. Mr. Borelli, sir, I don't want to kill any more, no, sir. No more, but I must. Honor thy father. I want to make love to the world. I love people. I don't belong on earth. Return me to Yahoo's. The people of Queens, I love you. And I want to wish all of you a happy Easter. May God bless you in this life and in the next. And for now, I say goodbye and good night. People, let me haunt you with these words. I'll be back. I'll be back. To be interrupted as bang, 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 uh. Yours in murder, Mr. Monster. We'll be back after this break. Hey guys, I'm Jerry. And I'm Tracy. We are the host of Hillbilly Horror Stories. What we do every week is we tell you mostly paranormal stories, and then we throw in a couple of uh, unsolved mysteries, maybe a little bit of true crime if it's creepy enough. And the beauty of this is that Tracy doesn't know the show, correct? This is correct. Never do. So then what happens when you don't know the show? I'm just as surprised as anybody else is. And that's the beauty of what our show is. We basically get the same reactions out of Tracy as what the listener at home is getting, and I think that's been a success to our show so far yeah i think it works we also use our show to promote mental health awareness and suicide awareness every show so we get the added bonus of trying to help people out while you get to listen to paranormal shows amen and that's what's important to us so please subscribe to hillbilly horror stories wherever you listen to your other podcasts hi this is Camille from i don't know the podcast Are ghosts real? I don't know. What are UFOs? I don't know. Are witches sexy? Maybe. I don't know. Listen to I Don't Know the podcast every week to find out what else I don't know about all sorts of things. Good evening, friends. I'm Emma, the host of the True Crime Witch podcast. 
Join me every other week as we delve into everything murderous, mysterious, and downright macabre. You can find the podcast by searching the True Crime Witch Podcast on all of your favourite podcast apps and search for us on social media just using the True Crime Witch. Hope to see you there. Remember friends, stay safe and stay spooky. You are listening to Serial Spirits, the podcast. Shootings and letters continued until the summer of 1977. In August of that year, a woman reported to police that she had been followed by a man while walking her dog, and as she began to run home, she heard shots fired behind her. Berkowitz's yellow Ford Galaxy was spotted in the area, and police began to investigate. Upon searching the vehicle, police located a rifle, a bag of ammunition, maps of multiple crime scenes, and a threatening letter addressed to the head of a local task force. On August 10th, Berkowitz was taken into custody. When questioned by authorities, he confessed to them all, but stated that a demon-possessed dog named Harvey spoke to him and told him to commit the crimes. He also stated that he had been part of a satanic cult and the killings were part of a ritual. Berkowitz later recanted the demon dog story, but stood by his claims of cult involvement. Berkowitz received 25 years to life for each murder, but was eligible for parole after serving 25. He is currently incarcerated at Shaw Gunk Correctional Facility in New York, where he has written numerous books on his conversion to Christianity and contributes to academic projects relating to the study of the criminal mind. So as you're listening to this episode, we just passed the anniversary again of when he was arrested, August 10th. That's crazy how our synchronicities always line up with all this kind of stuff. Yeah, I guess Because so, right? we didn't even think about it. It's not purposely done. Nope, not planned. This is another interesting guy. And I must say, being a fan of Mindhunter, the guy that they got to play, David Berkowitz, looked dead on oh my god David he Berkowitz. did it was i mean freaky. it was crazy if you guys have not seen season two of mindhunter you need to check it out because it's crazy but I'll, this letter gave me chills and i don't know if he recanted his insanity or they found out that he actually wasn't didn't they say in the beginning that they thought he was schizophrenic and he was hearing voices and the devil was making him do this stuff because that letter almost sounds like he's three different people there it really does he starts off saying he's a murderer he's Beelzebub, the chubby behemoth. I don't even know what that means. Well, he was a kind of a chubby guy. But then at the end, he says, I don't want to kill anymore. I want to make love to the world. Happy Easter. It almost sounds like he's like three different people in that thing. And that's why it's like, you know, did he purposely make this up or write it that way? I mean, it doesn't sound like you'd sit there and write and have all these misspellings and, 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 you know, write a letter like that in three different personalities. It's crazy. But I think they did. He recanted being insane. Later on, didn't he? He recanted the part about the dog, saying that the the demon dog, which was his next door neighbor's dog. So if you if you listen to the story and you go back and read that letter, it kind of makes sense because he's saying something about talking about sometimes he ties me up at the back of the house. Other times I'm left out behind the garage. That is where the neighbor's dog was that he says spoke to him, this dog Harvey. He did. He recanted 
that story later. So what did he think that the dog was telling him to kill people because the dog hated people so much that he was killing people for the dog? I mean, that's kind of sounds crazy to he me, said doesn't the, it? Well, he said the dog spoke to him first. The dog was possessed and the dog told him to do it. But then he recanted all of that and then later on became this Christian who wrote all of these books about well, his yeah, conversion they, to Christianity. They, they, all, they all become Christians because they try to, I think it's just part of their ploy to make themselves look like they're reformed or that they're better people. Because I think eventually they do have remorse for their crimes. But at the end of the day, I think this guy was insane. And, you know, they do use him for studies for, for other serial killers. But he did. He picked his victims at random or was it random. He obviously had uh, issues with finding out who he was. I mean, doesn't that sound similar to Ted Bundy? Ted Bundy also right. found out the same kind of thing, that he had this mismatched family and this secret that was that was told. And maybe the women he were was picking out resembled his mother, his birth mother or something like that, couples. And he's like, oh, well, you know, she was with right. some guy who told her to give me away. I don't know. I don't know if they ever came up with that motive or that was ever part of what they discovered about this guy. It sounds like he snapped after he discovered his birth mother and the fact that they just gave him up because they, they didn't, didn't want him. Didn't want him. Yeah, right. he was, you know, out of wedlock and he was part of an affair. So yeah, so if anybody, you know, is into the the son of Sam, this is where the infamous term Summer of Sam came from because it was a fear that whole summer that something was going to happen to people and people were just scared to death that they were going to get killed by the son of Sam. So this is another interesting story and another interesting serial killer. And Shay, think back to some very early episodes of Serial Spirits when we talked about the Cropsey killings in uh, Staten Island around this same time. And they claimed that there were these cults that acted in all of these area areas. And they kind of linked really loosely the son of Sam to some of these cults that they said could have been responsible, all those children disappearing in uh, around the, the Staten Island area. Yeah, well, I think he was just crazy and wanted to be something he wasn't. And I don't think he had anything to do with Satan. But who knows? Number six, John Wayne Gacy, a.k.a. the Killer Clown. They want to know the truth and the, and the honesty of it. If they want to be convinced or brainwashed into what they believe, then fine, then go ahead and kill me. But vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, because you will have executed somebody that didn't commit the crime. Those are the words of John Wayne Gacy, pleading innocence from death row at Menard State Penitentiary 13 years after being convicted of his crimes, the most notorious serial killer of our time. When they paint the image that I was this monster who, who picked up like these altar boys along the street and swatted them like flies, I said, this is ludicrous. But the jury didn't find it ludicrous. After barely two hours' deliberation, its verdict was murder by Gacy 33 times. 29 bodies buried in that house of his on Summerdale, a crime of horrendous proportions. In the crawl space underneath, bodies covered with lime and encased in plastic, dug up a few days before Christmas and carried into the December cold, one after another after another. John Wayne Gacy was an American serial killer who raped, tortured, and murdered 33 boys in Illinois between 1972 and 1978. He earned the name The Killer Clown as he attended parties, parades, and fundraising events dressed in a clown costume, calling himself Pogo the Clown. Gacy was born in 1942 in Illinois into a Polish and Danish family. 
His father was an alcoholic who regularly abused Gacy's mother. Gacy attempted to earn his father's approval, but was often told that he was never good enough. During his childhood, Gacy claimed that he was molested by a family friend, and Gacy himself was caught fondling a young girl. Gacy developed numerous health problems, including seizures, that routinely kept him out of school and in the hospital. As a young adult, Gacy became involved briefly in politics, then became an EMT, and eventually worked as a mortuary attendant. Gacy confessed that, during his time as a mortuary attendant, he would regularly sleep in the embalming room. One night, while alone in the funeral home, he climbed into the coffin of a deceased teenage male and caressed his corpse until he went into shock. After leaving the funeral home business, Gacy attended business college, got married, and invested in fast food restaurants. He became well-known throughout the town as a businessman and community contributor. However, his persona as a family man hid his real intentions, and Gacy's crimes soon began. In 1967, he committed his first sexual assault on a teenage boy. Over the next few months, his crimes continued as he would bribe the boys with alcohol and then force them to perform oral sex. Gacy even claimed that these acts were part of a, quote, scientific research experiment, for which boys would receive a $50 stipend for their participation. In 1968, one of his young victims contacted police after Gacy assaulted him, and he was arrested. Gacy was convicted of rape and sodomy and was sentenced to 10 years in prison. During his incarceration, Gacy became known as a model prisoner, even contributing to building a miniature golf course for the prison. He was paroled in 1970 after serving only 18 months of his 10-year sentence. Gacy, whose wife had filed for divorce while in prison, moved to Chicago after his release. Gacy married his high school sweetheart, Carol Hoff, and began to reestablish himself in his new community. He began his own construction company, PDM Construction. However, the claims of rape continued into the early 1970s, and Gacy stated that this is where his murder spree began. He claimed that his first victim was a 16-year-old boy he picked up at a bus station who was traveling from Michigan to Nebraska named Timothy McCoy. Gacy claimed he stabbed the teen to death, then buried him in the crawl space beneath his house, later covering the grave with concrete. By 1975, Gacy had expanded his crimes, which he called cruising, Young men disappeared, including Gacy's own employees. In 1975, his second wife filed for divorce, and his cruising years became his most murderous time. During this time, he would lure in the young men, typically killing them by strangulation or suffocation after raping and torturing them, then continued to bury their bodies beneath the crawl space in his home. By March of 1978, Gacy's signature killing style began to change. He lured a 26-year-old man named Jeffrey Rignall into his car, chloroformed him, then took him to his house. There, Gacy repeatedly raped and tortured the young man until he decided he had had enough. He then dumped Rignall in a nearby park, drugged but still alive. Rignall recounted the details that he could remember to police, including his abductor's car. By December 1978, Gacy's crimes became sloppy and began to fall apart. He was questioned after the disappearance of two boys whom Gacy had offered jobs, 
Police became convinced that Gacy knew more than he had told, as they had also begun to link several of Gacy's past assault charges to his present actions. Gacy appeared to be unraveling. His appearance was disheveled and he was drinking heavily. Police began a surveillance on his house. On December 19th, Gacy invited two patrolmen into his home. While in the bathroom, one officer noticed the smell that he suspected to be rotting flesh emanating from the heating duct. The following day, Gacy appeared for a scheduled meeting at his attorney's office. After asking for a drink, he picked up the day's newspaper, whose front page article detailed the story of one of the missing boys, and he stated, quote, this boy is dead, he's in the river. Over the next few hours, Gacy gave a rambling confession of the crimes, stating that the male prostitutes, hustlers, and liars that he had picked up were buried in the crawl space below his house and dumped into the river. On December 21st, police entered Gacy's home and began their search. They discovered that a sump pump had been unplugged and the basement had filled with water. After draining the basement, evidence technicians began digging in the crawl space. After only a few minutes, they uncovered rotting flesh and human bone. After completing the dig of the property and the search of the river, 33 bodies were discovered. All but six were identified. In February 1980, Gacy was charged with 33 counts of murder. In March, the jury found Gacy guilty of all three murders and he was sentenced to death. He was transferred to Menard Correctional Facility in Illinois, where he remained on death row for 14 years. On May 9, 1994, Gacy was executed by lethal injection. A crowd of over a thousand people had gathered outside the prison, many wearing shirts that said, no tears for the clown. In Gacy's last address to his attorneys prior to his execution, he stated that killing him could not compensate for the loss of the others and that the state was murdering him. His final known spoken words were, quote, kiss my ass. There's nothing scarier than a clown. You know, I've never had fears of clowns my whole life, but just imagine somebody dressing up as a clown to entertain children, and then this guy turns out to be a killer of young boys. I mean, that's just insane. Well, he was doing it to, you know, gain their trust, and he was this person that the community thought was good. He was a businessman. Yeah, he just was they a regular everyday him. guy. Yeah, and he, you know, people would say that too. They would have these business parties at his house. And then they would go in there to use the bathroom or something. They were like, oh, it was a weird smell. And he would just blame it on the sewage in the area. So th it was known that something was going on there for a long time. But everybody knows the story of John Wayne Gacy. He's one of the most famous serial killers of the 20th century. And I didn't never knew what his final words were. But can you imagine sitting there looking at this guy as they're about to execute him and he says, kiss my ass? Right. I mean, that's, that's creepy in itself. That is creepy. There was a video that I saw not too long ago. And it was when he was incarcerated the first time and he was the, the cook of the prison and they're interviewing him like it was a news story about talking about prison cooks and he was one of the top cooks in the state in the prisons and they interview him and he talks about all the different stuff that he does and it's like, how, 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 did, how did that happen? Well, I'm John Gacy. I'm from Waterloo, Iowa. And you're a man of some authority here. What, what is your title? Well, I'm first cook in the kitchen and I run the... Uh, the morning meal and the afternoon meal in the kitchen. John, how long have you been here? I've been here now a year and about two weeks. Why am I asking how, how long do you plan to take up residence here? 
Well, I hope to be getting out sometime in May. Well, good. Good. You're going to continue as a, as a cook? Is that as a, as a profession? You right. Have? This is my profession before I came in. All right. Um, that makes me wonder how many of our prison systems have frigging miniature golf courses, which is the most bizarre thought of all. Whatever. I guess it's like a permanent vacation for some of them. So, Shay, that wraps up numbers 10 through 6 on my top 10 serial killers. Next week, we're going to go from 5 to 1, and you're going to find out who I think the most fascinating serial killers of all time are. I can't wait. I'm super stoked. Until next time, guys, we'll see you when we see you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Serial Spirits Podcast. Follow us on all your social media apps, facebook.com slash Serial Spirits, on Twitter at Serial Spirits. Listen to us on all podcasting platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever you subscribe. Follow us on our mothership at paranormalwarehouse.com. Become a patron today, www.patreon.com forward slash paranormalwarehouse. Until next time. Be aware and be safe.